How's everybody doing this morning? You glad to be in God's house? How may, maybe you've heard of a movie called The Greatest Showman. Everyone ever heard of this movie? If you've been around here for even just a few months, you know how my five-year-old son really loves this movie and all the music in it. Yeah, there he is. Now, no, I didn't write this message just so I could show you that picture, but, but it is cute, isn't it? <laughs> now, this movie is about an orphaned, penniless boy named Phineas Taylor Barnum, who is rich with imagination and creative ideas. He's hungry for success. P.T. Barnum, he opens a wax museum but specializes in the unique and the peculiar, introducing extraordinary individuals and never-before-seen live acts on a circus stage. Now, some people called Barnum's collections of oddities a freak show. But there is no arguing success. The greatest showman is a visionary who rose from nothing to create a spectacle that became a worldwide sensation. And for those of you who've never seen it, here's a little clip. Take a look at the film. I am not a stranger to the dark. This is the life I promised you. I promised you a life of magic and wonder. If you could dream something up, what would it be? Imagine a place where people can see things they've never seen before. This venture is rather bizarre. People are fascinated by the unusual and the macabre. Every one of us is special. Don't listen to them. They don't understand yet. But they will. You're putting folks of all kinds on stage with you. We have more protesters every day. You're risking everything you've built. Well, how do you think I built it? You don't need the whole world to love you. Just a few good people. The world is ashamed of us. You put us in the spotlight. You gave us a real family. No one ever made a difference by being like everyone else. Anyone ever seen this film? You probably saw it more than once, right? It opened last Christmas, and, and frankly, it kind of bombed on the opening weekend. But, but before it left the theaters, The Greatest Showman was the third largest grossing musical of all time. And there's a reason for that. And it goes beyond P.T. Barnum. It goes beyond Hugh Jackman's, you know, version of P.T. Barnum. No, it's in the Bible. And today we're going to learn about the real greatest showman. So stand, if you can, for the reading of God's word this morning. We're in Joshua chapter 4. It says, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men. One from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? 
then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Now, jumping ahead to 19, the people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. It was there, at Gilgal, that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua says to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask... What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Father, we have seen your faithfulness. We are witnesses of your great power. And when we were slaves to sin, you rescued us, and you turned us into vessels of your Holy Spirit. You always finish what you start. Now help us do our part in our families, in our city, in our generation. Help us accomplish all that you desire to do in the power of your Holy Spirit. And in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, you may be seated. Now it's 40 years. 40 years have passed since the battle of Rephidim when the Hebrews left Egypt and were attacked by Amalek. Four decades since God taught Joshua a very valuable lesson about where the victory comes from. And Joshua watched God teach God's people many lessons over and over, but each lesson rejected by God's people. Over and over, they failed to express trust in the very God who destroyed the Egyptian empire on their behalf, who parted the sea, who, re- who repeated obvious signs of, of provision, of food and of water, of visible and audible manifestations of God's presence, the Ten Commandments, all of it. Nothing God did seemed to be enough for these people. So God decided he had enough. He refused to let that generation enter the promised land. God hit the pause button on his promise, and he let an entire generation of faithless complainers die off. And Moses passes the mantle of leadership onto Joshua, and now he is leading a new generation of people who are fully committed to obey God and to take possession of the promise. And the timing of their arrival, it coincides with the Jordan River at flood stage, okay? This is not a mistake. No, sometimes God asks you to do something when it will only take a miracle. When, not when it's the easiest, but when it is a worst-case scenario. And this is a worst-case scenario. There are no bridges, Okay, for all intents and purposes, this is an impassable barrier. But I want to point out something that is missing right here in the story. There is no complaining. Not a single mention of one person in this generation pointing to the obvious problem and drumming up fear and anxiety. You know, like, oh, Joshua, we can't do it. It's too hard. Uh, uh, where is God? Uh, what if I die in the river? No, no, none of that. This generation had buried all the fear and all the negativity and all of the doubt with those that generation that had ruined their chances. 
No, this generation knew that God was with them, and so they were not thrown by the problems when they showed up. No, they trusted that almighty faithful God would address the problem. And hey, speaking of fear, Joshua had word from his spies that in fact, it was the Canaanites who were gripped by fear. Why should God's people be afraid of anything? No, let the devil, let his minions be afraid. Put them on notice that this is the generation that will fully obey the commands of our God. And we, come on, give him praise. We are going to take possession of everything that he has promised us for our generation and for the generations coming after. One second after those priests carrying the ark, put their feet into the water of Jordan. God put his almighty foot down and the water rolled back and piled up 16 miles away in a town called Adam. Now, just to give you a point of reference, 16 miles away, that's like from where we are to Wheatland, okay? This would be in the middle of the river, but then God rolls the water back all the way. You know, there's people in Adam, they're just minding their own business, right? Just another day in Adam, right? Now they've got this freakishly tall wall of water in their town, right? Not only was the Jordan at flood stage rolled back, but even the water saturating the ground and in the clay of the riverbed was pushed out. It was squeezed out by the presence of God, by the weight of his glory, so that every Hebrew man and woman and child walked across that riverbed on powder-dry ground. Never forget that God will do anything on behalf of those whose hearts are fully committed to him. This is a powerful, supernatural manifestation of God's power, his unshakable commitment to keep his word to his people. Many in Joshua's generation were too young to to have experienced or to have remembered the parting of the Red Sea. And God was telling them, hey guys, this one's for you. I'm the same faithful God that your mommy and daddy told you about. I am the same faithful God that your grandma and grandpa told you about. I'm with you in power, and I always finish what I start. You stick with me, kids, because we are going to take this land together, you and me. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me, everybody right here in this room this morning. Never be satisfied to just hear about someone else's miracle. An older generation's move of the Spirit. Listen to the stories, yes. Pay attention to the lessons that were learned, yes. But you were never meant to live off of somebody else's experience with God. Come on. If God did it for somebody else, he wants to do it for you. He wants to give you an experience with him that cannot be explained away or taken away from you. So step out in faith and receive it in your life. Eyes have not seen and ears have not heard the greatest display and move of the spirit. And we will not settle for somebody else's miracle. We want our own. And if you did it for them, God, you will do it for me. And if that's your cry this morning, give God a shout of praise in his house. Now, water was not just a barrier to getting into the promised land. It was more than that. It was also a metaphor. It was a symbol, a symbolic image of divine judgment and justice. And that that symbol, that metaphor, it goes all the way back to the events of Noah and the great flood. You might say that the corrupt world was baptized by God 
right? Until all flesh died. And only faithful Noah and those aboard the ark were spared to reboot the world. And this is exactly the connotation when John the Baptist was preaching repentance. The old sinful life goes under the water of divine justice. And what came up was a new life that would honor God and live in his ways. In fact, the river Jordan is made up of two words that mean the spreading of judgment. But watch here what happens when the priests carry the mercy seat into the waters of judgment. What happens? His presence, it pushes the judgment back. It rolls it all the way back to a town that happens to be called Adam. Squeezed out of every drop of it out of the soil so that their feet cross over on dry ground as they walk by that mercy seat. When you belong to Jesus Christ, when you are living in the covenant that he made in his own blood, divine judgment is rolled off of your life. And Paul says in Romans 8, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Give him praise in his house this morning. That town in Adam, it took all of the judgment. God did not leave one drop of it for his kids to slog through. When we accept Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, there's not one drop of judgment left for us. He didn't take some of it. He didn't take most of it. He took all of it. He took all of it when he said, it is finished. Can anyone give him praise for what he's done for you? So God tells Joshua, have 12 men carry the stones out of the bottom of that riverbed. Take them miles inland to Gilgal. I want you to imagine with me something here. Imagine with me that you are one of those rocks. You are formed deep inside the crust of the earth, you know, by geological pressures and the the forces that God created, right? Slowly you and your friends are making your way up to the surface, you know, as the pressure builds and time goes on. And you realize you're all getting closer and closer to the surface. And you and your 12 rock-headed friends begin to wonder, what's it going to be like up there? What is it going to look like? I've always dreamed that someday I would see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the lights that our creator made. Maybe we'll come out in Hawaii. Maybe we'll be on the beach and we'll hear the water and we'll see the whales swimming by. Maybe we'll come out on the top of Mount Everest and we'll see all the snow and we'll watch the whole world stretch out beneath us. What will life up on the surface be like? Will, what will we experience? It's getting softer. The ground is getting softer. Oh, oh, here we come. Wait. What is this? Well, I can't see anything. Do you see? I speak up. I got water in my ear. What, what's going on? Are we in the bottom of a river? All that time, we're never going to see a bird or the sky? Oh, this is rock bottom, guys, even for us. <laughs> Be blessed. Look, you know what, if we're being honest, and we're all being honest this morning, right, we know exactly what it feels like to be those rocks. You had expectations for your life. 
things were going along, but, but out of nowhere, you got overwhelmed by circumstances out of your control. And you keep praying and you keep hoping, but the water, it just seems like it keeps rushing over you. Bills that you can't pay, sickness that doesn't seem to be getting better, broken relationships, a dead-end career, no career. Every which way you turn, it's just more water everywhere, water, and you feel stuck. And nothing is happening. But you're wrong. God is on the move. And that water rushing over you bit by bit and piece by piece, something is changing. You are changing. Under the constant pressures of the water of Jordan, those rocks were changing as the years rolled by and all the rough edges were smoothed out and all the sharp corners were rounded off. And you didn't realize it, but the problems that you were facing were only serving to make you stronger. Those rough patches of life were sanding off those sharp corners and smoothing you out. That constant pressure that you've been under hasn't been crushing you. It's making you as strong and as hard as a diamond in the spirit. And you begin to realize suddenly that the problem was not the problem. The problem was just preparing you for your great purpose to be revealed by the presence of God when his ark of mercy comes over your life. And as far as those stones were concerned, it's just another pointless day in the river. If anything, it's worse because now it's flood stage. It's greater problems, more water under the water. But you see, the night before, in chapter 3, God was having a conversation with Joshua about 12 rocks that he was going to find in the river. And if you're under the water today, let me speak truth to you. God has been having a conversation about you, about your life, because he has a plan for you that is about to change everything. So Joshua calls together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he tells them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up a stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the tribes of Israel, and we will use these stones to build a memorial. And in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, they remind us, the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. And these stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Imagine with me those 12 rocks now smoothed out smoothed and round. It was the only way of life they had ever known with the water of judgment flowing over them seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and one day it just disappears. And these rounded stones that no one had ever seen before were chosen, picked up from the clay they had been stuck in for years and carried all the way to Gilgal where they were arranged together into a monument of God's glory. Now, isn't that how everything happens, isn't it? Slowly, 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 and then suddenly. That smoothing out, it's painfully slow. But suddenly, God lifted them out. How many of you know God will move you further in one day? He will make more changes in your life in one moment of time than in a lifetime of struggle in, in your existence. One word from God will bring you out of the depths and out of the mud and the filth and the darkness and put you on display to showcase him, you as a trophy of his goodness. His glory, not ours, not yours, not mine. His glory because he did it. And he didn't just do it for the stones. 
They served as a reminder for generations of the faithfulness of God. The great-grandchildren of these men would, would someday wander by and they would see these stones that, that are obviously out of place. Huge, round river rocks, and there's no water anywhere nearby. And the little ones, they would run up and they would, they would climb over it and they would run their, you know, their little hands over the smooth sides and they would ask, Daddy, how did these get here? Why is this here? What does it mean? And again and again and again, the truth of God's faithfulness would be told because, because they looked odd, because they were obviously out of place. They did not belong there. And God used them so that they would stand out. So people would be compelled to ask, what are these? So that they would learn the truth that God is mighty and that our God is faithful and that he will do everything that he promised and that you can't even imagine what he's capable of doing if you just put your faith in him and if you obey him. Has it ever occurred to you that there's a reason why you are different? That you don't fit in anymore? that you stand out. Everyone else is sleeping around. You know, they're getting high, using drugs. They're cheating on their taxes or they're cheating on their spouse. But you, you stand out. You are a freak. <laughs> You're weird. And people look at you and they say, why are you like that? Why don't you lie? Why don't you go along with what we're doing? Why do you tell the truth when you could just get away with it, you know? When Jesus puts you on display, when you begin to talk about God's faithfulness and what he's done for you in your life, and when you begin to emulate the character and the love and the truth of Jesus Christ in your home, in your job, with your family, wherever you are, you should anticipate that there are those who don't like what it is that you represent. They'll call you a Jesus freak. They want to intimidate you. They want to embarrass you. They want to shut you up. And I'm going to say something that, you know, it might blow your mind a little bit. Are you ready? Sometimes it's even people at church. Sometimes it's people in your family. Why are you going to church again? Why do you go to church all the time? Would you stop lifting your hands in church? Oh, you're embarrassing me. It's so emotional. <laughs> sorry, not Sorry. Okay, I am God's living, breathing, walking monument to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Give him praise because he lifted you out of a pit, did he not? He sustains me. He is faithful to me. And I'm not going back to the life that he freed me from. I am warmed in his light and I will be more undignified than this. And as the years go by and his miracles stack up in my life, as his blessings roll in, and as the Holy Spirit keeps, you know, taking the rough edges off of my life, my praise is getting louder and my faith is getting stronger. And I'm telling more people about what he has done for me because he is a fire shut up in our bones and we will not be slaves to people's low expectations of our life. Not when he has a rock with your name on it. You see, God told Joshua to take a rock for every tribe. He didn't just have everybody share one rock. No, every tribe, every family, every Jew had a rock in that memorial that they could touch, they could look at, that represented them. They could say, this is me, this is mine. 
And there's a song in that movie, The Greatest Showman. It won an Oscar. It's called This Is Me. You heard the song if you saw the movie. It's where the, the sideshow freaks, they sing about how they're not going to hide anymore in the dark. This is who they are, and they deserve to be loved. And it's a beautiful song. And, you know, society likes this. They, they like to do whatever makes them feel good and then say, hey, this is me, right? This is who I am. I sleep with whoever I want. I eat whatever I want. I entertain myself with whatever I like. I say what I want. But, hey, you know, this is just me. That's who I am. But you see, no, at Gilgal, where the stones were stacked, this is not just a tourist spot. It was a place of sanctification for the generation of Joshua, right? Sanctification, it's a word that means that you're becoming holy. You are being made holy, set apart for God. It was there that the men did for their children what the parents, the generation before, had failed to do for them. And they were circumcised there at Gilgal. The flesh was cut away. It was a sign of a covenant with God, cut into the most personal and sensitive places in your life. You see, the stones were brought out of the clay, and they were put on display. But when God's people went there, they were coming there to leave behind their old ways of doing things. This was not a place of comfort and convenience. No, they were leaving what made them look normal to everybody else in favor of being loyal to their God and faithful to the God who had been faithful to them. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Work hard. Show the results. It's not putting on an act. It's not about trying to win your salvation. But because of my salvation, because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm cutting away more and more of the things in my life that don't belong to him and the things that he's not pleased with. Because while the world might have looked at me in the dirt and said, hey, this is you. Don't be ashamed. Be loud. Be proud. No, God lifted me out of the dirt. He lifted me out of judgment. And he put me on display. And he said, no, this is what you can be. This is you because of me. And it's not about me. And it's not about you. The Bible, everything that God did, he did it for you. All the sacrifice he made, he made it for you. It's for you. But it's all about him and his greatness and his goodness to you. And there's a warning in the story. And I would, I would fail you if I left it out. It's the warning of the other 12 stones. It says Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan. At the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. Those other 12 rocks, they spent their whole life in the light. They were walked by. They were sat on. They, they blended in with all the other rocks on the shore of the promised land. They never underwent the painful process of being smoothed out by the water. No, they were jagged. They were dry. They were spent years enjoying the sun. But suddenly, some dirty river rocks were pulled out, and they were thrown in. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, Displacement displacement. We see this reversal, this displacement. It happens over and over again in the Bible. The first shall be last. 
The last shall be first. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. The poor beggar was taken by angels while the rich man is cast into hell. Christ has come, but an antichrist will be revealed. The Holy Spirit is guiding us into all truth, but there is a spirit of error at work in the world. And after the men remove the 12 river rocks... Joshua takes 12 other rocks from the promised land back into the riverbed. And following the analogy that the redeemed are like those river rocks, rescued from the waters of spreading judgment, here we see another group of rocks to be removed from their secure place and put into the place where the redeemed have been taken out of. We have come out, but they are going in. The ones who thought they were secure, the ones who thought they had arrived years in the sun on the banks of the promised land, now they are displaced. And when the mercy seat and the glory of God moved out of the Jordan, the waters rushed in and covered them over, never to be seen again. And I'm reminded of Jesus' warning to the church in Revelation 3. You say, I am rich, I have grown wealthy, and I need nothing But you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. And in this verse, you see people identifying themselves. I'm rich. I don't need anything. I don't need anybody. But God says, no, I see you for what you are, wretched and pitiful and blind and naked. Two opposites. Who's telling the truth? I'll give you a hint. It's the one who is truth. What God says is truth. And people think because, you know, they sit in a service or they give money or they they get involved in some ministry, somehow, hey, I'm good, right? I checked a box. Those are externals. You can look good but not be good. Know what I'm talking about? The call of Jesus is to die and follow him first, always, only. We don't put our faith in material things, and we don't put our faith in rituals. We put our faith in the man, Jesus Christ, and because of that, we will obey him. And that's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. It means to obey. And Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will obey. You will keep my commandments. And the apostle John said in 1 John chapter 5, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Your love for God, your faith in Jesus Christ, it will translate into obedience even before you see the results or before you see the victory that he has promised. I want to say that one more time so that it just really soaks in. Your love for God, your faith in Jesus Christ, it will translate into obedience today in the daily things before you see the results of it, before you experience the great victory that he has promised you. And you see in this story, the men who picked up those stones, they actually went in front of the ark of the mercy seat of God. They were given a promise. You are the generation who will take the promised land. 
They were given instruction, get in front of the ark, pick up the stones in the middle of the river. In the middle of your problem, before you see the first victory in the fight, pick up the stone, pick up the thing in the middle of your battle, because when God delivers you, then you can remember what it was he brought you out of and how he delivered you in the middle of your battle. If you are in the middle of a fight and it looks like there's no end in sight, but it's only getting worse, remember your promise from God and walk in obedience to him and don't lose faith because of what you see. No, pick up something from that fight. Pick up those divorce papers. Pick up that bill. Pick up the restraining order. Pick up the pink slip. Pick up those test results from the doctor because whatever it is, you can take it with you, not so you can stress out about it, because you believe the promise that he has given you, that he is delivering you. (laughs) Praise him before he moves, before you put one toenail into the victory of the promise. Pick it up because one day you're going to be in another fight. (laughs) And then you can say, I remember you. I know you. You are the God who delivered my family then, and you will deliver me now, and I will praise your holy name forever, even before I see it come to pass. And a thousand years from that moment when Joshua was commanding his men, Jesus was locking eyes with Peter, and he said, now I say to you, you are Peter, which means the rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And Jesus is describing a monument, a monument that he is building, an assembly of stones that he has chosen, people he has gathered and pulled out of bondage and pulled out of addiction and pulled out of false religions and sinful lifestyles, pulled out of selfishness and dysfunction. Without Jesus, we were doomed forever under the waters of judgment. But what Jesus did on the cross has rolled back the judgment off of our lives and rolled it all the way back to Adam, to the beginning of time. Just like Joshua chose those stones, Jesus has chosen you to be assembled together, to stand the test of time and the storms and the eras and to show off the glory of God in our generation. And Jesus said that the very gates of hell will not prevail against us. There is no scheme in the deepest, darkest corner of Satan's mind that could ever succeed against us. But let's not deceive ourselves. He's going to try. This is a war. And the demon-worshipping tribes and the pagan city-states of Canaan were not like, oh, yay, Joshua's here. Come on in and take control of everything. No, it was war after war. It was fight after fight. And sacrifices were made and lessons were learned. But God's people are always victorious when we revisit the cross and when we remember everything that Jesus has done for us and when we fully commit ourselves to do his work and do his ways. Then we can put down the pockets of rebellion and our own lives, then we can face off with the powers of darkness and that seek to rip marriages apart and break families apart, that seek to enslave and bind and subvert the worship of the true God and replace it with idols. And we will destroy every lie of the enemy with the truth. And we will battle this here on earth because there is a day coming where the greatest showman will reveal himself in all of his glory And he will also reveal the truth of who we are. Revelation chapter 2. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to what the Spirit 
is saying and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. And when we achieve victory here on earth, when we fight fear with our faith, when we tear down rebellion and we our own feeble wisdom and we choose to follow and obey Jesus, when, even when it looks like we can't win and when it goes against the wisdom of the world, we will receive a reward from God. And a part of that reward is this white stone with a new name on it. And I have a feeling that even after years of being called by the name that your parents gave you, recognizing it as your name, when God presents you with this new name, you'll say, that's it, like you woke up from a dream. This is it. The name that you had before will, will seem foreign and strange because God knows who you are and he speaks the truth and the truth is what he calls you. And I wonder about this white stone if the size and the shape of it will be unique to each of us. Will, will it represent our lives, the places that we let God smooth out, where we submitted and yielded to his instruction, where we confessed our weaknesses and then God came and made us strong and then on it, he engraves a name. It's encrypted. No one understands it except you and him. It's an eternal inside story between you and Jesus. Because only you and he know all the things that he brought you out of. Maybe your family thinks they know everything about you, but no, Jesus was there in the private battles, in the secret places where you submitted your thoughts and your free time and your weaknesses and your income. And when you lock eyes with Jesus, after you see your name, you and he will both understand. Because he knows and for all eternity, every time someone calls you by that name, once again, you remember the goodness of God in your life. Every moment that looked dark and hopeless, he was calling you my child. He was calling you ruler. He was calling you authority over all the demons of hell. And the greatest show awaits. Not only does God want to show you off to everyone here, there is another show. And it's coming soon. It is going to be the greatest show. The eternal display of glory where you and I are paraded before angels and powers and thrones and beings that we've never imagined as they turn and look in wonder and awe as our story is told. How did you get here? How a bunch of broken people were taken and used by God to turn this city upside down. How a bunch of addicts and dysfunctionals were used by God to shake California. How families were restored and marriages were healed. How wrongs were forgiven and miracles were granted to demonstrate this one mind-blowing fact. Ephesians chapter 2. God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. 
that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages of examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness to us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Stand on your feet and give him praise in his house this morning.